Welcome back. I'm Brett Harris. This is God Knows Where. We kicked off our journey together in this series. I didn't say that with a look at belief, what we believe and what belief really means. And if you haven't listened to those first couple episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to them when you have time. But today, we're taking a bit of a turn. It's not a hard left. It's more like a slight veer. We're jumping into a discussion of what we do with our belief or our faith or our trust in Jesus or whatever it is that we want to call it. Because what we do with it determines the impact that we'll have. I think we all hope to have a big impact, if not on the world, in someone's life, our spouse, our kids, our, a friend, whomever. As strange as it seems, I think the best way to have the biggest impact is to start by doing something very small. Something we see Jesus do over and over again. Something that brings healing and hope. I think when we find healing and hope, we also begin to find wholeness. And that's what I think Jesus' whole goal was for us. So before we get into a whole episode, before the episode even starts, I'm glad you're here. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Spare Change. We've all been there, stopped at a red light or walking out of a store or pumping gas and someone comes up to you and asks you for some spare change, a little something to get a bite to eat or to get some gas, or maybe even they're holding up a sign explaining their situation. And we have a decision to make. Do we reach into our pocket or do we pretend that we didn't see anyone? If you're like me, it's never an easy choice. You're probably trying to make it somewhere on time or you're in the midst of a long list of errands or you've got your kids and they're with you and you've told them a thousand times not to talk to strangers, but you know you've got some money to offer them or you could walk back into the convenience store and buy some snack. And In the back of your mind, you're calculating if they're telling you the truth or if you're the 10th person that they've asked or if they just want to use your charity to prop up some habit they have. And then if you're really like me, you do that calculation and you arrive at your answer and you decide that what really needs to happen is somebody needs to figure out how to solve hunger or homelessness or poverty. And you think if, you, if we just had some better policies or better structures or better programs, we could fix this larger problem once and for all. And then you realize that you're late to wherever you are going or you remember the list and you forget about solving that problem altogether. At two different points in my life, probably more, certainly more, but two for sure, I found myself torn between attempts to solve these problems and manage resources and the example that we have from Jesus. Fifteen years ago, as a first-year seminary student, I was placed as an intern at a local nonprofit that provided financial assistance to people in need. We had this tried-and-true framework that helped us trust that what we gave to the folks who walked through our doors not only helped them climb out of a hole, but also kept them from ever falling back in. And when it worked, it was beautiful, and it was holy, and there was no better feeling than helping someone get out of a bind and get back on their feet. But when it didn't, 
It was terrible. And there's nothing worse than learning from a formula that the person sitting across the table from you earns too much or is in debt too deep for you to be able to help them. I hated those conversations. And I have no doubt that the people who heard me say, I'm sorry we can't help you today, I'm confident they hated me and our policy too. Flash forward a few years, and it became my responsibility to follow a benevolence policy that enumerated what the congregation had decided we could and could not help with and how often we could help someone. And I must confess that on more than one occasion, I did the calculations and I chose to flout the policy to good and bad results. From time to time, I had to look people in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you today. We helped you five months ago, but if your lights get disconnected two months from now, we'll be able to help you then. Or, hey, look, I'm sorry, we can't help you with that utility or we can't pay for that expense. And all the while, I listened to experts wax poetic about broken systems and I was encouraged to read When Helping Hurts and I signed off on checks to nonprofits who were propping up the same systems we were and kept feeling like what's broken isn't the system. What's broken, what needs repairing, are our relationships. Jesus didn't say we should build a better Rome. He said we should build something that doesn't look like Rome at all. Jesus didn't say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, here's the formula to solve poverty. Or here's the acceptable interval at which to be charitable in order to break the reliance on social services. Or when you give, make sure you reserve an equal portion for future needs. He said, and I quote, give to everyone who begs from you. When at least 5,000 people were stranded far from any market or the food they had at home, Jesus told his disciples, you give them something to eat. And later, he said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. Jesus didn't say anything about creating or improving policies. He never said that they would solve our problems because he knew that they wouldn't. He knew that only deeper, stronger relationships could heal us and make us more whole. If you want to look at what Jesus did say, go and find all the instances where Jesus heals someone who is sick or feeds someone who is hungry or spends time with someone that waspy Protestants like me would consider unsavory. And what you'll see over and over again is Jesus connecting with someone on a personal level, stopping what he's doing or breaking from where he's going and investing his time in someone else's day, in their life, in their transformation. It makes it pretty clear that that's what he thinks we should do too. But that's terrifying. That requires connection and commitment. That requires you and me to do something we hadn't planned on doing today. And that doesn't require a, a plan at all. We love a plan. 12 steps, whole 30, color-coded calendars. We love to make plans. And when I say we, I'm firmly planting myself in that group. I love a plan. My mom, my wife, my kids, they'll all tell you that I don't do well when a plan is not followed. If we are leaving at 8, then the tires better be rolling 
down the driveway at eight. If we have three stops to make, then there better not be a spontaneous decision to add a fourth. I'm guilty of it. But making plans or policies is the opposite of building relationships. Relationships require trust. Policies require judgment. There's not a policy on this planet that wasn't born out of misdeeds or distrust. If we never hit each other, we don't need a rule, don't hit. If we don't misspend money, we don't need protocols about what are allowable expenses. If you choose to spend my charity on items I would never buy, then I'm inclined to think long and hard before being charitable to you again. But, but, if I trust that I have enough to get myself through the day, when you come to me for help, I'll lend you a hand. If I trust that if I give to you today, there will still be more to use tomorrow if I need it, then I'll give you what you need. If I take time to sit with you, to take a detour during my day, we'll connect and find a way to get you out of your bind. And I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking it too. What if this person uses the spare change that I give them not to buy food, but to buy cold beer or something worse? What if they turned down my offer to buy them a meal after they said they were hungry? Tells me that they didn't really need help, did they? What if I give to them now? They'll, they'll just keep coming back asking for help. And I'd say if you're in the position where you have to ask for change from strangers to make it through the day, you're probably not having a great day and you probably haven't had a great day in a pretty long time. And I know when I have one bad day, one long, exhausting day, it's really nice to have a cold beer or a gin and tonic or an entire sleeve of Oreos or something that I enjoy that takes the edge off just a little bit. And no one bats an eye if I do that. But it's that last question that rattles around in our head that I think holds the answer to this problem. If I give them something now, they'll just keep asking for help. Of course they will. I feel safe in assuming that that's the question under the request for spare change. We want to ask for help, but sometimes we don't know how to ask. Sometimes we're embarrassed or ashamed or resigned to the broken systems just being broken. But if someone knows we helped them one time and that means we might help again, maybe, just maybe that's the start of a relationship that could lead somewhere better. Too often, we turn what should be relational into something organizational. Policies do help do some good for some people for some amount of time, maybe even for a long time. But they've never repaired a relationship. They've never brought us closer to our neighbor or healed any wound for good. We can't formulate or adjudicate or evaluate our way to the kingdom. Only relationships will get us there. Plans are great for business. Policies are great for politics. But both are terrible ways to share the gospel. Not only that, I'd say that often they stand in the way of it. Every policy that forces a decision to be made between the well-being of a person standing in front of us and the sustainability of an organization values judgment more than it does trust. It values merit over grace. 
and merit is nowhere to be found in the gospel. For Jesus, the formula to confronting hunger, sickness, even poverty was simple. Can I help? If I can, then I must. Not by waiting for a better system to arrive. Not by waiting for it to be built. But with the food at my table. The money in my pocket. The time in my day. That's where relationships are built. That's how better systems get made. That's where differences are made. And between you and me, that's the only way to transform what's broken around us. So let's challenge ourselves, you and me. The next time we find ourselves in the situation where someone is asking us for help, let's just make one calculation. Let's just ask one question. Can we help? If we can't help, okay. But if we can then let's do what we can there in the moment. Let's make what difference we can, however small it may be. Let's keep the door open. Let's keep the conversation going. Let's make the connections on a personal level that could lead to transformation. Transformation in our lives, transformation in someone else's lives, and in our life together with our neighbors. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It will mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.